0: I, I love the idea of, of the entire family learning a lesson. And so if your children or grandchildren were in Kids Church Sunday or uh, the Boys Ranger program, they kind of echo the, the Bible story portion of what we do that, that way too. I like, I like the whole family being able to dialogue on it. So I'll get on a soapbox for a minute that if you are a parent or a grandchild, we send papers home with you every week that are called a Parent Connect. In that Parent Connect is a little devotion. For you to do with your children, with your grandchildren, so that you are talking to them, you're dialoguing with them about what they learned. I guarantee you, they're learning stuff. It's amazing to me how the the kids that you think are not picking up a single thing, you ask them questions about the lesson, and boom, 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 they got it. You know how I know that? Because I was one of those kids. I was one of those kids that nobody thought I was paying attention to anything, but I was getting it. And so my heart goes out to those kids because they're they're usually punished. <laughs> for not sitting up straight, hands in their lap, feet on their legs with a big smile on their face. They're, they're just not suck-ups. They just are li- they're, they're too busy thinking about other things. They can think about 15 things at once. So. But I don't know what happened. I, I lost that ability. I can't do that anymore. I can't concentrate on too many things at once anymore, and my mind gets boggled. But, so we're looking, we're looking at the idea of, of looking at discouragement. So my question for you is, what, how do you typically react when you're discouraged? Lots of different people have different reactions. If you're discouraged, obviously you think, well, that's going to give the same response with every person. As many different people as you have is as many different responses. Some people clam up when they get discouraged. Some people get mad. Now, if you're married to one of those people that clams up when they get discouraged, you know that if you, you know, try to pry that out of them, it usually doesn't work well. You got to, you know, you got to use honey. You to draw that out, you know. That works better. But how many of you also know that sometimes people, they get mad. They're just mad as hornets. They're discouraged, and they're ready to fix it. They're ready to take care of it. They're going to take matters in their hands. They're going to make things right. Uh, I, I was in um, Panera uh, earlier in the week, and I, you know, I worked in retail a lot of years, so I have a tendency to be a little critical of, of bad customer service. But I, I didn't think it was awful. I mean, it wasn't, it, the girls weren't probably as attentive as they probably should have been. But you know what? I was, I was happy. My broccoli cheddar soup tasted fine. Uh, the coffee wasn't cold. Life was going to be okay. But um, um, the lady that came in behind me, she was, you could just tell she was one of those people that she was bound and determined to fix Panera. It was her mission, as soon as she set foot in the door, to point out, um, excuse me, I'm standing over here, uh, ma'am. This line is the one that's open. Yes, but I'm here, and then and every time I'm in this store, blah 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 blah. blah. And and then and then I was, you know, at that point I'm like, okay, this could be fun to watch, and so I'm kind of keyed in on it. And she complained at every step. She went to the coffee and whatever it was that she likes there. It's it, I can tell this is not even warm. And can you make a new pot of this? And then her food, something was wrong with the food. It's like this lady was discouraged, and it came out in. She was just mad and ready to, ready to fix Panera in one swift swoop. And, you know, so different people have different reactions to discouragement, but we all at times face discouragement. And the people that always have a smile on their face and always say everything is right and everything is good and everything is wonderful, I'm looking at them saying, no. No way. Nobody is that perfect. Nobody is that happy. You are a brilliant actor, but I see through your act. Because discouragement is part of life. Bad stuff happens. I looked at the idea with the students Sunday morning uh, from the standpoint of why do bad things happen to good people? Man, you talk about a question that's ageless, it doesn't matter whether you're in kindergarten, whether you're in sixth grade, or whether you are the grandparent of a sixth grader. That's something that's real to us. And So tonight I wanted to look at how do we respond when life throws us curveballs, when life simply offers us things that give us the reason to be discouraged. I like what Oscar Wilde said. He was an Irish uh, poet and playwright. Uh, you think a, a playwright uh, had reason to be discouraged. He probably did. You, you know, the, the, the two kinds of people that have the largest pool of critics are pastors and actors. Everybody's got an opinion about what they do. And so, you know, they, this guy probably had some good reasons to be discouraged. But he says, many of the greatest achievements of the world were accomplished by tired and discouraged men who kept on working. That's good because a lot of times when we hit the wall of discouragement, we simply shut down. We simply say, you know what? I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've tried, and I've tried again. I'm just going to give up. I'm just, I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of doing it. And so we kind of clam up and we usually regress and we revert and we just kind of back off from everything. But what I want to look at tonight is how to rise above discouragement, and I don't want to do that with scripture, and I want to do that by looking at the attributes of God, because the best thing that I know to keep your focus on when you're going through discouragement is something bigger. You know, what, what gets you through a bad day is hope that it's going to be better the next day. You know, what gets you through the long day, the long tedious, you know, whether it's a school semester, whether it's a, a crisis with your family, with your loved one, what gets you through that is focusing on the fact that something better lies ahead. But what I know to be true in my life is that ultimately when that something is something besides God, it's going to be temporal. It's going to fade and it's not going to last forever. Why is the world addicted to something? We're all, you know, the world's full of addicts. You know, some, some of them are more visible than others, but we all have something that we go to to give us peace and joy and comfort and peace. And ultimately, anytime that is not God, it's something that's going to fade, something that's not going to last forever. And we need to look to the source to give us that. So let's look tonight at how to rise above discouragement. As I look at the the text, words always stand out to me. And so uh, the word everything is something that I think is significant as Jesus and his disciples are having this conversation near the end of his life in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, 30 says, now we understand that you know everything. The disciples have been with Jesus for three and a half years. They'd followed him around long enough to see him do miracle after miracle. They'd seen him raise the dead. They'd seen him turn water into wine. They'd seen him spit in people's eyes and heal them. I mean, I I love the the fact that Jesus is creative as he heals differently almost every time you see the account of it done. I think that's just to throw us off to say, anytime you think you've got figured out how God's going to function and work in your life, uh, guess what? I'm going to change it up. I'm going to keep you guessing. I'm going to keep you dependent on me. And so they had seen this, they'd seen everything. And so now we understand that you know everything and there's no need to question you. So the disciples finally come to this conclusion after this dialogue and this discussion with Jesus about how he was saying he, he had to go to prepare a place for them. He had to, he had to suffer. He had to go through uh, the, the trials of, of walking that line uh, to the cross for them. They didn't quite understand this, Process. I mean, I mean. Imagine someone that you've been with for three and a half years, and they're they're revealing to you that they're God, and and you're like, okay, wait a minute. How does this work? You're Jesus. You know, no, I'm God. And and so, it, I mean, you think it was hard for us to understand God and the Trinity and all that. Imagine them. Imagine them that are walking with him all the time. But they did by this point have confidence. Okay, this guy is who he says he is. He does have the answers. He is. What we are looking for. He is what we have been anticipating. But unfortunately, they, they still didn't have that long term perspective that we have. I'm telling you, I, I love the time and the age that we live in because we have so much access to Scripture. We have so much access to good teaching about God's Word. And we have such, a, such an incredible resource, a wealth of information every direction that you turn. Compared to what we're dealing with here in the first century when the disciples are following Jesus, some of them. Uh, you know, had good understanding of scripture, but they're still trying to process it all and figure it out. And so our perspective is so, so amazing. But but Jesus says a little bit earlier in their dialogue back in verse 24 of John chapter 16, it says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. That song we sang that that we were there at the end, focusing on the name of Jesus. Jesus was declaring to the disciples my name is going to be the new standard. My name is going to change everything. The old covenant, the old ways of doing things is, is going to be done differently because of me. I am stepping on the scene and I'm changing the status quo. I'm changing how you com- communicate with God. Everything's changing. Ask and it will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, what, what is it that typically gives you joy? Think about some things in your mind that that bring you joy. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your grandchildren if you have them. Maybe it's, you know, uh, a certain hobby that you have. Uh, Maybe it's a certain kind of food. I, I plug everything I eat in the Fitness Pal. And so, like, if I know my wife is making stir fry like she did last night, I punched it in, like, early in the day because I'm, like, Yes, she makes the best stir fry in the whole world. And I want to make sure I have plenty of calories allocated for that. And so I I skimped and scraped all day long because I knew I wanted two cups, not just one cup, of chicken spicy Szechuan. I I finally said it. I tried to say spicy Szechuan. See, there I go again. Spicy Szechuan. I tried to say it last night. I couldn't. You know, I I anticipate. That gives me joy. All day long yesterday, I had joy because my wife was making spicy chicken Szechuan, and I was excited about it. You know, so what is it that brings you joy? What is it that gets that focus? Jesus is saying, ask in my name and you will have joy. I will make your joy complete. Now, Jesus isn't saying, I tell the kids this all the time, Jesus is not a genie in the bottle that you just rub the lamp and get what you want and poof, there you go, it's all yours. That's not what it is. Jesus is saying, line up with me. Line up with my plan for your life. Line up with what what I am directing you to do. Follow me, come after me, and it's going to be okay. You're going to have peace. You're going to have joy. But we go wrong somewhere because we think joy means we get everything our way, the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it, the way we want it. I worked for 11 years for a company that thrives off of that concept. Quitrip is is the best conven- convenience store company out there because they Take care of customers' needs, and they give them fifteen gazillion choices, and every other way that you could ever imagine, every way that you would want something, they give it to you, and then they do it with a smile. And if you don't like it, there's like here, have a free drink, and blah 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 blah. You know, they got it figured out. But unfortunately, we bring that mindset that our culture feeds every day of the week and twice on Sundays into our walk with God, where we think I should have everything the way I want, when I want, how I want the way I want, and then I'm going to have joy. Otherwise, I'm going to storm the gates of every Panera and let those people know that they should fear for their lives when they see me coming. Joy, what brings you joy? Jesus says your joy will be complete when you ask in my name. And so he's explaining this to the disciples. He's explaining them, I am going away to prepare a place for you it's better that i go away because as i leave the spirit will dwell within you then and it's going to change everything and so jesus says that this is what you have to look forward to the verse goes on to continue in john 16:30 from this we believe that you came from god they were they were sitting it sitting around processing it and like mind blown emoji boom 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 like wow he really is the one we've been looking for. He really is what we've been hoping for. A new day had dawned. I mean, we were looking at at the idea with the kids in a series back uh, not long ago about the priesthood and about Aaron and Moses and explaining to them how the one person interceded for the people uh, as the priest to stand before God and, and put the guilt before everyone. Boy, I'm telling you what, how many of you are glad that you get to stand before God by yourself, Jesus made it possible that we can each stand in his presence and bring our petitions before him. Hebrews breaks it down for us. Chapter 10, verse 21 says, and since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. When you're facing discouragement, you need to remember what Jesus has done for you. You need to remember that you are a wretched sinner. Now, y'all are pretty good-looking folks. Most of you look pretty sharp, pretty respectable. You don't even look like you'd yell anybody at Panera. You look like nice, fine Christian people. But peel a few layers back, and guess what? We're all filthy, wretched sinners, including me. I'm not trying to say you, you heathens. I'm perfect, of course. We were we were at an Andy Stanley conference a couple of years or a couple of weeks ago, and Andy was talking about you know the idea of you know these guys that you know walk around and talk like they're just anointed all the time, and he said, well, just ask your wife how anointed you really are at home, and she'll tell you. You know, so we all, you know, none of us are perfect, but the fact that we have Christ as our great High Priest, that He died on the cross and made it possible for us to have that personal relationship, that personal connection that we have confidence in him, that he knows everything, that he has everything worked out and that his, his mindset is the best interest for us, we can have comfort in that. And we forget sometimes that God knows it all. He knows what we're going through. The principle that I want you to pull away from this first part of the text is that discouragement causes us to forget one of God's pretty important attributes that he's omniscient. He knows it all. He knows what you're dealing with, what you're facing. He knows the solution. He knows the end from the beginning. But we have a tendency to want to fix things, to deal with it. There's a lot of times when there's something that we need to do that is a component of the process of fixing things. But all too often, I think we get way ahead of God in the steps. God's saying, okay, here's your part right here. And then I'm going to take care of it from here. But what do we do? Okay, thank you, God. I'm on the right path now. I've got it. I've got it figured out. here, Here, this is the right path. And all the while, we're way ahead of him. And he's going, all right, you're going to figure out in a little bit you're on the wrong track. I know what I'm doing. I know how to go about things. Just trust me. Second word that really stuck out to me in the text is each. I love the individuality of how Christ functions with us and, and the personalness of the relationship. You know, one, that's one of the things that when people that convert from Islam or another uh, Eastern religion, Hinduism, things like that, that it's it's very distant and very vague and, and the concept of, of achieving heaven or nirvana or whatever it is that, that, that they are aspiring towards is very vague and is very kind of, not real clear, is it really going to happen for you? Jesus is very personal with each and every one of us. He, I really truly believe that if I was the only person he had to die for on the cross, he would have done it. If you were the only person he would have had to die for, he would have done it. So each each and every one of us is important to God. And so Jesus is then responding to the disciples' first question there that they were posing to him and in the interaction. In verse 30 and verse 31, he says, Do you finally believe? You know, they said, there's no need to question you. From this, we believe that you came from God. And he's like, okay, are you sure? You know what? I bet you this week, he's asked some of you guys that same question. Are you sure about me? Because you're not acting like it. Do, Do you really trust me? Oh, no, no, wait a minute, God. I I know you got a lot going on, so I just kind of took matters into my own hands, and I'll take it from here, God. I've got it. You know, don't, don't look condescendingly, well, of course they do that. I would never do that. We all do it. We all forget that he is the same God who spoke the world into existence. Guess what? He could still speak life into your problem, into your situation. When people are talking to me consistently about a problem, about something that's going on with them, my mantra is pray more, talk less. Pray more, talk less. Because you're talking to me, you're talking to them, you're talking to someone else. You're not fixing anything. Talk to the source. Talk to God. He cares about each and every one of us. He knows each and every one of our names. Jesus is asking the disciples, do you finally believe? You need to ask yourself that tonight. Do I really believe that God can come through for me in my situation? I, Alicia did a great job. She always helps me with different port, parts of the service and so she did the the Bible story portion of the lesson Sunday with the the kids and it was talking about Jesus sitting there at the last supper and talking about that he had to go and prepare a place for them and talking about that they would have hardships and that they would have problems and that they would face these things but to cheer up that he still had things in their best interest. And and I loved how she brought out that, you know, to you, that's a kindergartner. To to Levi Atwell compared to Cason Gray, you know, Levi's a kindergartner. Cason's a sixth grader. Problems may be totally different. To Levi, it is a life-threatening problem if Timothy punches him. He is mad for at least two hours, and it's like, it's a crisis. You know, Cason, it may be a deal where somebody's picking on him or bullying him. You know, it's different for every age group, but a lot of times we think that the bigger the problem gets, the less God is capable of taking care of it. And the more complex that it gets and the more, you know, wires it gets wrapped around, problems are different for adults, aren't they? I mean, you know, somebody doesn't just call you a name and kick you. They talk bad about you and they gossip about you and they manipulate and they control behind the scenes and they work around all kinds of different angles to get what they want and you bear the brunt of it. Anybody ever face anything like that? That stuff stinks, doesn't it? you you hang around people a little bit and you'll face that stuff. But guess what? We serve a God who can speak life into nothing. That's your situation too. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, Jesus says, or do you finally believe in me? Look back with me at John chapter eight, verse 42. Jesus is again talking to the, the disciples here. He says, Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me. But because I have come to you from God, I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Jesus was teaching them these things all throughout the discourse of of walking with them and talking with them for three and a half years, of of doing life with them, of of hanging out, of spending time together, of sharing meals, of of doing ministry, of doing work, of 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 looking after people and you know, they saw the highs, the lows, the goods, the bads, They saw it all. And Jesus is reminding them, I'm not here on my own agenda. Did you know that anytime there's people involved in a situation, there is agenda? People have an agenda that they want to get accomplished, that they want to get pushed through. Spouses have agendas with each other. Don't do that. <laughs> it's just human nature. We do. Wives, you have power over your husbands, whether you know it or not. Don't use that power for evil. Use it for good. So, But, you know, we, we a lot of times are so focused on the problem. We are so focused on the situation. We're so p- focused on what is happening that we are just like the disciples and we're listening to Jesus' statements. Yeah, I came of the Father's agenda. I came of the Father's will, of the Father's design, His plan. And that plan is for you to have life and to have life to the fullest. But as he's saying this, Jesus is looking at them and he's seeing that blank expression on their face that he knows their mind's spinning, thinking, well, yeah, that works okay for this, but I'm not sure about this. Over here, I'm not sure if I fully trust you for that. Over here, I I, kind of need to do a few things over here, God, before I'm really gonna really just trust you and take you at your face value that you're gonna handle this for me. Verse 32 says, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you'll be scattered. Jesus was telling them all of this because he knew he was no longer going to be with them in person to explain things to them. Times were going to get tough, he was saying. Times are going to get difficult. This is such an important couple of verses here in Scripture because it answers a lot of those questions that we have about why do bad things happen to good people. Why, why, why? There's a lot of times that people have asked me that question and I have to simply say, I don't know. I could try to give you an answer. I could try to point my finger at you judgmentally and say, well, that probably happened because of this. Or, you know, you name it. We all think we're the smartest people in the world and could give everybody advice. But we have to be careful that a lot of times as we're looking at situations like this, that we're looking at it through the lenses of, The same thing that Jesus told the disciples, it's going to be tough. You're going to be scattered, he says. Each one's going to go his own way. Each one, he says, is going to go his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Jesus is saying this because he's reminding the disciples, I know human nature all too well. Isn't it amazing that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time? You know what that tells me? That tells me he knows what it feels like to feel torn. He knows what it feels like to feel weak, to feel tempted. Yet scripture says he was without sin. That's why he's our great high priest. He can empathize with our weaknesses, yet he did not give in. And that same spirit that rose him from the grave, that same spirit that allowed him to be able to press on and press through and be faithful to the end is living within us. We forget that though. Each one of us has a free will to choose, to accept it, to reject it, to do our own thing, or to go the other way. I like what my study Bible had to say about it. I wanted to share this quote with you. I thought it was really good. As Christians, we should expect continuing tension with an unbelieving world that is out of sync with Christ, His gospel and His people. At the same time, we can expect our relationship with Christ to produce peace and comfort because we're in sync with Him. As Christians, we really should be countercultural. If we see our mindset slipping and drifting the same direction that everyone or else around us does, that's not a follower of Christ. We need to reel it in and say, "Wait a minute! I'm buying into that lie. I'm buying in to a, to to a line that is not for me. This is the line that I'm going to stand on. That Jesus says." I have got your back. Do you finally believe in me? I like what Matthew twenty six thirty one says. It says, on the way Jesus told them, tonight, all of you will desert me for the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Have you noticed that the enemy hasn't changed his approach? He doesn't have to. You know why he doesn't have to change his approach? Because it still works every day of the week twice on Wednesdays and three times on Sundays every time church people get together there's an opportunity to scatter us to isolate us i was sharing with you last time my mom is all in on blue planet and animal whatever show she's she loves it it's the first time she's ever experienced she she loves the the announcer guy the british guy with his accent and you know how he describes this you know but we were looking at the show about the the, the animals, you know, there's so many of them, but she's like, oh my goodness, which animal's going to get killed tonight? You know, you know, and she, but it's like, as you see these hunters and the predators, they seek out the animal that is alone, that is separated, that is weak, that is isolated. And the enemy of our souls does the same exact thing. He wants to get us discouraged and he wants to get us isolated. He wants to get us each going to our own way, just as Jesus said it would happen. Jesus said it would happen to the disciples, and that word, transfers onto us to remind us that when we see ourselves in a discouraged state, when we see ourselves in a, in a place where we're depressed, where we're overwhelmed, where we're, where we're not keeping our focus on Jesus, we need to recognize it for what it is that we have isolated ourselves from the herd. We have isolated ourselves from Jesus, from the strength that we draw from him, and we bought into the lie of the enemy. We've got to realize that we are going to feel out of sync with the world around us that doesn't follow Jesus but at that same time, we can be in sync with Christ. principle I want you to pull away from this second part of the passage was that discouragement causes us to forget that God is omnipresent. Another one of God's wonderful attributes is that he's everywhere at the same time. He's everywhere. I, I, I love trying to explain deep theological concepts to young students. Uh, and I work really hard at trying to do it in ways that they can understand it, but you know the still probably one of the best ways I try to explain the trinity and i and I explain it to the to the children clearly, this is not an accurate description guys there's no way to, to completely accurately describe something that's supernatural in a natural way, but I use the egg that there's a there's a white there's a shell there's a there's a shell there's a white there's a yolk there's three parts, three distinct parts to an egg, yet they're all an egg and so you know, as as our minds are wrapped around Christ, as our minds are wrapped around the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the dynamics of this, as, as our minds are wrapped around the fact that God is omniscient, that he knows everything, that's that's beyond our understanding. God's omnipresent. He's everywhere at the same time. I, I don't understand that. You don't have to. He does. He does. He's got it mapped out. He's got it figured out. Last word I want you to to pull out in this last verse is earth. I think, all too often we forget a very important concept of Christianity that we are living on earth with the hope of being in heaven for eternity. That may not seem real profound to you, but think about it for a minute. There are two different places. Did you get that? How many of... Our discouragements are because earth is not heaven. How many of our discouragements are because life is not how we think it should be? We're we're a little jaded living in 21st century America because we have got it good. And don't get me wrong, I don't wanna I don't wanna live someplace else. I don't wanna have it less fortunate. I don't want it to be bad. I don't want it to be a zombie apocalypse and, and there'd be no power tomorrow. And I have to fight Pastor Nick for coffee and, and food in the refrigerator. I don't want that. I, I, I like it how it is. I think it's wonderful and marvelous and grand and glorious and great. But we have a we have it wrapped around our minds that we are supposed to have everything wonderful and perfect and amazing. And heaven should be right here in Kansas City, Missouri. Well, there's another branch of <laughs> of theology. I don't know that I'd call it that, that does actually think heaven is right here in Independence, Missouri, and Jesus is coming back here, but I'm not gonna get onto that, sorry. Uh, David, you can edit that out of the, uh, the podcast, though. So. But, um, you know, earth is not heaven. Think about that for a minute. Earth is not heaven. Look at the words of Jesus. Look at what he says here. I've told you all of this, leading up to chapters 14 through 16 are really a big phrase in a discourse of him breaking this down, breaking his exit strategy to the disciples saying, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. This is why it's going to happen. And here's what you're going to do with it. I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in ice cream. You may have peace in your truck. You may have peace in your house. You may have peace in your spouse. You may have peace in your job. You may have peace in your church. Are any of those words in that scripture, ladies and gentlemen of the jury? No, they're not. How many of you wish they were some days? Hey, I'm I'm being honest. Y'all are lying. We want peace. We want things to bring us peace, to bring us joy, to bring us comfort, to bring us satisfaction. And they do to a certain extent. But if that is our focus, it will leave us dry, it will leave us empty, it will leave us unsatisfied because it's not meant to bring us peace long-term. Struggles is part of life. Struggles we will face, Jesus says. Jesus is not telling us that he's going to abandon us to struggles in this passage, He's just simply saying that in spite of struggles, in spite of hardships, in spite of difficulties which are real. Please don't think that I'm I'm diminishing what you're going through as a hard time and as a difficulty because it is real. You're living through it and it hurts every day. That's why. You know it's real. But if our focus stays on that, we have lost sight of what he's saying here. I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. I like what Paul says to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Man, that is such a great depiction of it. The light of the world in busted up, broken up me, and messed up you. That that I'm in awe of that when I really sit and think about how wretched I am and what a mess I really am and that God places his spirit in me, an earthen vessel, a clay vessel that is easily tarnished and broken and destroyed. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. Jesus says, this all I have told you so that you may have peace in me here on earth. You will have Trials and sorrows, verse 1633 says. It's one of the most profound verses in the Bible. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. You ever had a trial? You ever had a sorrow? Yeah. That looks different for you at different stages in life, it looks different every day of the week, but trials and sorrows are part of life. But take heart, he says, for I have overcome the world. Man. You ever, you ever been to a sports contest or watched one on TV and the score was just, it was not looking good for your team? And then out of nowhere, they came back. Johnny North will never let us hear the end of the Super Bowl a year ago. He will never let that die, that the, that the Falcons had him on the ropes. It looked like it was a walk in the park, that the game was over, and Tom Brady rode out of the locker room on a white horse the second half and won the Super Bowl out of nothing. And we all love those comeback stories. We all love those. But what we forget is we are living the greatest comeback story ever. Jesus has already won. He's already overcome. He's already defeated death and hell and the grave and everything that we go through. Yet we are earthen vessels. We are clay vessels. We are flawed, broken people with the spirit of the living God living in us. And we forget who he is and we forget what he can do. We forget what he's all about because our focus begins to be on life and this earth and the fact that heaven is not earth. We lose our focus. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I like what one of my study Bibles had to say about this. It says, notice that Jesus did not say if you have tribulation. He said his followers will have tribulation. Trials, conflicts, and persecutions will come, but Jesus has overcome the world. Romans 8, 37, 38 is a great, great verse to take to the bank when you're going through discouragement how to rise above discouragement. No, despite all these things, Paul says to the Romans, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. We, uh, My youngest was home for half the week for spring break, and. Going back to Springfield, going on a camping trip with his friends this weekend, and then gonna start classes again. And uh, I, I've told Damon this for a long time, but I always remind him. Praying for you, John, son, and uh, Jesus loves you more than I do. And I talk to him a lot about you. Thanks, Dad. I know. You know it's kind of helpless, isn't it, when you're sending your baby off? All three of my little piggies have gone off and built houses of straw or bricks or stone, and I got to sit and watch them do it now. I could try to manipulate and control them and tell them what to do, but they can choose to shut me out of their life now. Kind of stinks, doesn't it? I spent a lot of money raising them. Don't you think they should appreciate that? I gave them a whole lot of food, put a roof over their head, parenting adults is interesting but you know what it's given me perspective it's given me perspective of how god feels about us when he looks at us and we have a choice whether we're going to shut him out or not we have a choice whether we're going to believe him we have a choice whether we're going to do it his way his way is best in this world you will have trials you will have sorrows but take heart he says because i have over the world. If you're facing discouragement tonight, the principle that you need to pull away from this last part of this is that discouragement will cause you to forget that God's omnipotent, that he has all the power that is ever necessary or needed for your life and for whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through. Here's my challenge for you as we close. I want you to intentionally focus on these attributes that I mentioned tonight. He's omniscient, he knows it all. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, he has all power. Think about this simple verse. In this world you will have trials, sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Focus on that rather than focusing on what you're facing. What you're facing is real, it hurts. But if your focus stays on it rather than on Jesus, the enemy's got you right where he wants you. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me? I asked you a little while ago to to lift up those prayer requests to God, no matter what it is, no matter what you're facing. But I want to give you another opportunity to just kind of reflect on that and think about that. This This is a powerful passage of Scripture that is such truth and such life that we need to really let it sink in. And so in in light of God's word for us tonight, and in in light of the words of Christ, I want you to really be challenged to think about him. If you are facing something and you need to keep your focus on Jesus, I just want to pray with you real quickly before we close tonight. Just lift your hands and say, John, would you pray with me? Just lift me up in prayer in this situation. I see your hands. I see see you. All over the room, there's there's needs, there's situations, there's struggles. God, I I thank you tonight that you are the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith and that you, you do have it all figured out. We put on a good front sometimes when we think we can act like we do, but we don't. God, help us to remember right here and right now that we are desperately dependent on you. Completely and totally dependent on you. We need you. God, I pray right now that those that are facing trials, those that are facing sorrows and hardships, that they would be encouraged tonight. Discouragement is a tool of the enemy to get us off track, to get our focus on something else. Right now, we put our focus on you, Jesus. And I just thank you that as we walk out of this place, God, that our hearts and our minds and our perspective is changed by your presence and by your word. So as we leave tonight, God, we know that we we may still face difficulties, but we're gonna have peace. We're gonna choose to keep our focus on you, Jesus, and have peace as we walk through. Them. God, I pray blessing on each family represented. God, I thank you for every... Every family that's, that's on this campus tonight, all of the students that are here, we are so thankful that so many of them even come, uh, that, that their parents don't attend services here. God, I just pray that your light would leave with them tonight as they leave this place and that, that as we walk out of this place, God, that we would have a renewed intentionality and focus on realizing that we are to be salt, seasoning, light to the world around us. God, I pray that you help us to do that and to shine brightly for you, God, bring us all back Sunday for a great service. Bless us all as we go in Jesus' name, Amen. If you need prayer for anything, I will be here at the front. More than welcome to come up. I'll be glad to to, to pray with you. God bless you.